This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. This is Double Tap Canada from AMI-audio, the place where blind people talk tech. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Double Tap Canada. It is I, Stephen Scott. Um, I'll be honest, I'm exasperated already. Uh, We've uh, just been planning to get this show going now for about uh, three weeks, I think it it felt like, and uh, we're finally around to getting started. Uh, Sean Priest is over there. Are you all right now, Sean? Are we sorted? No, I'm I'm good. I'm just trying to work out what exasperated means. Okay. Uh, Ask Lady A. She'll tell you. Thank Uh, you. Meanwhile, we'll ask uh, Tim Schwartz how he's doing. Hello, Tim Schwartz. How are you? I am good, Stephen Scott, and uh, I'm not sure about Sean, but I am doing well uh, after our 30 minutes... uh, uh, yeah, run around of pre-show nonsense, I guess. I don't know what you call it. It's just fun. Just planning. Fun. That's planning, Tim. <laughs> Was it planning, though? Really? No. Was it planning? No, it I wasn't. mean, look, we can't lie to people because at the end of this episode, people will know what's going on. You know, they'll know there was no planning involved in this as soon as we get to the end. I mean, that's just how it well, was. See, here's the question, Stephen. If it was planning, we could put it on the air. Was the conversation True. we had, was any of it able to be put on the air? No, I, I would love to do an off-air <laughs> podcast, right? So we should do it. We should Ooh, do an off-air yes. double tap. Right, what you got to do, no no, you've got to email feedback at ami.ca if you want it, right? Because we can't sanction it, right? Because we've got absolutely no power here. Uh, so, you know, we should we should get the listeners to start a campaign. No, please, please don't. Why? Don't. Let's, let's just Why? move on. <laughs> on with the show. Okay. Um, look, we've got lots to talk about. Um, we are going to be looking into the emails, which actually lead a lot of our conversations this week, which I love. Uh, so if you want to email in, feedback at ami.ca. You can call as well if you want to. We'll give you the phone number a bit later. Uh, you can uh, call and leave a message for us, and we'll be happy to play on air. As long as you are, obviously, because legally we have to say that, or else I guess we get sued. Uh, well, I don't, but someone else does. Um Okay, all clear on that? Good. Uh, so, <laughs> Yes, this is why we needed planning. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, like where to put your cables and your USB sticks. Um, this is an interesting one that came Oof. in our email. Careful. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, virtual private networks. Stay with us. Um, and uh, we're going to be discussing... Uh, Windows 10 once again. Yes, it's uh, back in our conversation this week uh, because of uh, a listener uh, who's got in touch with a question about it. And also LinkedIn. How accessible is it? We're going to find out with a special report this week. But uh, we're going to kick things off with a bit of news. Um, And just as we were coming on, we were getting the news that... uh, there's a new version of iOS dropped. What is it, 13.1.1.1.2 or 3 or something? Recurring. Yeah, <laughs> something, something like that. 13.3.1. So what are we getting in this? Have you, have you got it yet? Of course I have. I'm a, I'm a tech uh, thing. Mm-hmm. So yes, I've definitely got it. Haven't really looked into me? it. Sorry, I'm totally convinced. <laughs> a tech thing. Okay, so... Um, from an accessibility point of view, the only real improvements are with Smart Invert. What was wrong with it? Uh, it didn't work. Okay. Oh, well, <laughs> can only go up from here. Absolutely, anything. Yeah, my screen's yeah. like yellow. Uh, right, okay. Well, maybe that's slightly unfair to say. Let's just say it's inconsistent, particularly if you use dark mode and smart invert at the same time. Mm. There are some improvements in Safari and some of the keyboards. It's working as it should, but eh, it's not great. And I would say, though, if you're using iOS 13 already and you do use those features, smart invert and dark mode, then... This is definitely worth an update because you will see improvements. But still, if you're using iOS 12, then 
eh, I'd stick with that until this is sorted out. So is this if you have dark mode enabled and using Smart Invert, do they clash or...? Yeah, they seem to. There seems to be some issue there that they just can't resolve. Yeah, you, you can sort of understand that in a way, because if you've got dark mode on and then you invert it... You know, don't you just turn it into light it's, it's, again? That's yes. just light mode again. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of just like turning it off again. I mean, they should probably have thought about this to some degree. Um, so that's not great. I'll tell you my biggest bugbear, and Tim, I'm sure, will tell us his because uh, I think both of us are different. Mine's is the lock screen. So whenever you have uh, a number of notifications that pop up on your screen, maybe you've not been at your phone for a few hours or an hour or ten minutes in my case, you come back to about a thousand notifications uh, you, you open up the phone, there's all these notifications there. You close the phone because maybe you want to read them later. It just starts reading them all out from top to bottom. And you, because the screen's turned off, you can't silence it. So the only way to do it is really just to open the phone up, go past Face ID, unlock the phone, swipe up to get rid of the notifications, get into the, the phone, and then turn it off, which is just ridiculous. What is that about? That is Definitely yeah, ridiculous. Tim, what's that about? It, yeah, what is that about? I, what is I, that about? I, I, I'm the wrong Tim to be asking that question to. Um, <laughs> and I have had that happen a couple times, and it is definitely ridiculous. But my problem is not as much that because it's only been, I don't know, it's only been once in a while that I've had that problem. Mine is just when the phone is unlocked and I get notifications and they're stuck and they won't go away and they oh, block yeah, yeah. other notifications from coming in. If I finally go and dismiss one, well, then all of a sudden a whole bunch of other ones might come through or another one comes through and then I have to dismiss that one and it's not even consistent sometimes I'll dismiss one and five others just come through in succession or sometimes I have to dismiss each one of those one at a time to get through all mm-hmm. the notifications because they just get stuck at the top of the screen so that that needs to be fixed that's driving me nuts it's the inconsistency of it that's what bothers yeah, me exactly so it's like you say one a message could pop up and then it just sticks there and every couple of minutes you get message from Tim you know Where's my cakes or whatever it is that you sent? Um, you know, yes, and that's, that's what fine. I sent. You, know? <laughs> you send me that all the time. <laughs> At least I hope it's you. Um, but it's yeah, I don't know what's going on with this. But I'm guessing, I'm hoping that this new update will have fixed all that, Sean. But tell us a news drum roll. I don't know. Uh, you know, okay, excellent. Thanks. I haven't used That's it enough yet to, to, to let you know that it's fixed any of those. As far as I know, I think the notifications are still sticking. So, yeah. I mean, look, Great. if you're running iOS 13 now, then update anyway. What have you got to lose? Um, oh, yeah, but if you're true. still on 12 and still not sure, then, yeah, stick on 12. Can I be honest? Even it's a very early stage of iOS 13, I suppose, in the grand scheme of things. But there's a lot wrong with it. I mean, especially from an accessibility point of view, there's no, a lot wrong well, with it. I mean, it's look. It's been out for, what, four months? Four, four yeah. or five months? And obviously you had the whole beta cycle before that, mm-hmm. so... You know, I wouldn't say there's a lot wrong with it. There's some annoyances well, there. there. Yeah, the no, notifications, things, it's not like a, you know, a, a showstopper, is it? It's just annoying. And the other one is, when you turn the phone on, I don't know if you've had this, but if you switch the phone on, I don't mean turn it on from start, I mean just open it up, uh, the, the focus just jumps all over the place. So you're on the notification screen, it's mainly on there, I've noticed, but it's, it's almost like the phone, the phone's a bit like my mother. You know, it's like you, you tell it something, it's like, hang, hang on, hang on, I'll, I'll just, let, me, let me get this in my head. So you're going out on Tuesday at six, okay, and it's like, right, okay, you know, you're trying to explain it, and, you know, it's just not going in. Where's this um, going? We apologize, Mrs. Scott, Sean and I have nothing to do is, with this. This is what my mother's like. <laughs> but honestly, 
you know, you, you go onto the notification screen and you tap on one, and I know that the top one is perhaps uh, an, a message versus the next one being mail. And how do I know that? Because when I hit on one and then I swipe, it tells me the same message again, and then I swipe back, and it tells me the same message again, and then I swipe right, and it tells me it's a mail message. So it's, no, it's constantly confused. You just don't know how to swipe. Yeah, that's right. That was my problem all along. That was that was my issue. I couldn't swipe. I was doing it up and down. Um, I mean, it's just ridiculous. There's a lot of bugs with it that I just don't understand. And, I mean, again, if we're all reporting them, and I hope we are, I'm certainly reporting them when I find them. Um, you know, it's just ridiculous. But um, we did get the news this week that iOS 14 is coming out, so that's going to fix everything. Um, and it's going to be available on lots of devices as well, uh, all the same. including the iPhone SE. Yeah, the SE and the 6S. They're going to stay the same as iOS 13. So that means not a huge amount of updates to iOS 14, then, right? So that's, that's telling us there's not a huge amount in there that's going to be different. Uh, we were, of course, looking forward to the news. I know you are, Tim. I think we all are, really, looking forward to what will become the, the iPhone SE 2. Or iPhone 9. <laughs> yeah, it's the name. It's an iPhone 9. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about that. But okay, I get it. They're thinking successor to iPhone 8 because it essentially will be the same phone, I'm guessing. Perhaps a few changes, better camera, certainly a better processor chip. Um. But I think the iPhone 9 is definitely the blind phone. Oh, yeah. But it won't be the iPhone 9. I can tell you that now. No way will they. They're not going to roll back a new phone and, and sort of date it when it's a new release. They won't call it 9. SE2 would make more sense. It would, yes. But we'll see. But I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Well, what, what do we know, right? But, I mean, you know, that's the rumor. Yeah, I can see SE2, obviously, because that makes the most sense. But at the same time, since they skipped 9, and this is supposed to be an upgrade to the 8, I, I, I can see the kind of sideways logic, sort of, to why you would call it an iPhone 9. But I think it may just be too confusing for people. I think that, uh, you know, people are going to be going into a store saying, I want the newest phone. Oh, you want the 11? No, I want the 9. What do you mean 11? I, I heard about this 9. There's an 11? You know, people that are new to the iPhone numbering system, I think that could be very confusing. If, if you just call it the SE2, uh, that, that just stays in line with what it was. But, yeah, I mean, it's basically going to be physically an iPhone 8. Most of the hardware of the iPhone 8, except, of course, like, like you said, the processor, Stephen, uh, will be the the new uh, you know the the A13 chip that was in the 11, which I think that alone makes it great. Maybe a little bit better camera, uh, but the same screen size as that iPhone 8. So to me, yes, I am very excited about this, especially considering the price point has been rumored to be as low as $400 US up to maybe 475 US. The, there's some different uh, rumors on that, but but it's still much cheaper. So yeah, it, it'll be it'll be my new phone, I think. And, you know, despite the fact that it is obviously coming out to uh, compete against lower-cost Google handsets, uh, but very powerful handsets like the, the Pixel range, uh, you know, the 3A, and I think we're about to get the 4A, uh, Google I.O. have just announced their dates uh, this year. So we're looking forward to that, and we'll see if the 4A comes out. And again, that's going to be around the $400 mark. But really, let's be honest, it's because iPhone sales are just not as good as they hoped. Um you know they haven't been jumping up and down about iPhone sales, um, primarily because I don't think they're there. They are there, which is the problem. So um, yeah, and I think the the numbering system, the naming convention thing, is just a mess. I mean, you've still got the XR; you can still buy that. Um, you can I think you'd still buy the XS. Although I might be wrong in that, uh, but you can get 
you know, the iPhone 8 and you can buy the iPhone 11 or the 11 Pro. Um, None of it makes any sense, does it? I mean, very confusing. I, I, yeah. yeah, it's the price points they need to worry about. And if they get a $400 iPhone in that range, then they've, they've got everything covered. You know, you've got the... <laughs> I know it's, it's laughable if we say $400 is the budget range, but it is for an iPhone. You yeah. know, $400 <laughs> all the way up to 1000 plus. Then, Although in saying that, look, I, I'm using an iPhone 7 uh, at the moment for my, for my work stuff. And do you know something? What do you mean, what? It's brilliant. So I no, it is brilliant. Oh, my iPhone seven's great. iPhone seven's great. So, I mean, the only problem is it's very hard at this stage to recommend to someone what to buy, right? If someone says, what what should, should I buy? I mean, don't buy an eight. Just don't do that because you may as well hang on. You'll probably find that the iPhone nine or the iPhone SE two, whatever they end up calling it, uh, will be cheaper than that. So I would say hold off. And we're maybe only talking a couple of months. I, I don't know. This is an interesting one because last year, the year before, we started to see Apple just drop products rather than do events or hold events or wait for events to happen. And I wonder if this is just going to appear at some yeah, point. Yeah, suddenly appear if, in the uh, Apple store. There's only one reason I think it won't. And if it's got the features in it, I think, well, I mean, this is just wishful thinking, really. Um, I wonder if they're going to put Face ID in there as well as Touch ID. Ooh, now I think that would put some people off because lots of people still want the home button. Well, I'm not saying get rid of the home button. I don't think they would do that. I hope they don't do that. That's absolutely oh, the reason. No, why they what you mean, Face ID and a home button? No chance. No way. No. No, you're wrong, you sir. So? No, get out. Okay. <laughs> if it's going to have the hardware of the iPhone 8, it will have that haptic home button like the 7 and the 8 had. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in theory, it should have a home button, just that haptic feel home button. And why not put Face ID in there with it as well? So I, I, I think it's very possible they'll both be in there. What are you talking about? You've both gone mad. That's, that's an expensive component, the Face ID IR projector. They're not going to put that in and keep the home button touch ID on there, which you don't even get on the high-end ones. That's madness. Both get out. <laughs> Making me sick. Wow. You shall see. Okay. Um, You're the one who said oh, a couple dear. months ago that this phone was never going to happen, that it was uh, just just our, our you know hoping too much and that it was fake, fake news. news. Yeah, so... Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Tim. Do you have one in your hands right now? No, I don't think you do. There you go. Thank you. Moving on. Oh, dear. What's going on here? What happened to him, Stephen? What what did you do? I don't don't know. (laughs) It's not my fault, is it? Um, Okay. Well, look, uh, this is the way it goes, right? Um, We we just go through this process. um, So we'll just have to wait and see what comes out. There is also a talk about a red Apple Watch. Does this excite you? No. Could not care less. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited for raising money for charity. I'm also excited because I'm a big baseball fan and uh, and I'm a fan of the Cincinnati oh, Reds. No, no, the uh, charity so, thing. Yeah, yeah sure. I'm, I'm for that. Um, so as a Cincinnati Reds fan, I could wear it and people are like, oh, you wear that because you like the Reds. Well, sure. Yeah, that's it. Or <sighs> you wear that because you're supporting Boy. a charity. Yep, that's it. Other than that, no, I, I don't care. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> None of us care about the color of an iPhone or Apple Watch. Yeah, I, no, well, no one cares. I think some people care. I just can't see it to care. Some people do care. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, remember, not all of us can. No, see. I said think nobody about cares. With a purple iPhone, oh, yeah. My wife will be all over that right away. <laughs> and, and if, the, you know, a pink one, if my daughter had one, she would go for the, the rose gold right away. But you put a case on it. 
P- you know, people you typically do, wearing... yes, but it's it's an idea of knowing that the color is under the case, I guess. I don't know. I've actually heard other tech people. Yes, there's actually other tech uh, uh, pundits out there other Fake than news. us. Um, people have actually I said... I have no idea what yeah, you're talking about. I've heard people actually say, yeah, they're desperate for a rose gold or the, the jet black. They uh, want it. And then it's like, but you put a case on it and cover it up. Well, but I know it's there underneath. Well, okay, but then you're just... Yeah, Ridiculous. just as blind as I am with it because you can't see it. So I, I, I don't get the color, but people like it, though. Um, okay, well, look, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, we shall report back when we know more, which will be, you know, either it just drops one week or there's an event that comes. You know, there isn't always an event, a first event of the year uh, until, you know, later on uh, around WWDC. So we could we could just find this dropped. I think I think it's likely it will. Um and uh, we shall see. And I'm sure Tim's going to be first to buy it. because, yes. uh, And I'll not be far behind, if I'm honest. Yeah. Sounds brilliant. Um, okay, so let's move on, because uh, we've got an email in from Elisa, who has got in touch, who's a big fan of the show. This show? Okay. Uh, right. Lots of good info. Lots of good info, she says. This show? Anyway, um, she says, I would love <laughs> it if... <laughs> I would love it if you talked about how to get the most out of LinkedIn with voiceover. Hmm. Uh, she says, I think it's an, a powerful tool, but it is hard to figure out. Well, uh, Elisa, ahead of uh, the show, um, and for once we actually did plan something. This is very unusual. Uh, we, well, I say we planned yeah, something. We got someone else to do it for us. We got someone else to do it. Um, so regular voice on the show, Robin Christofferson is here to uh, tell us all about LinkedIn. For you, Elisa, and for everyone else, and I'll be honest, this is intriguing to me as well. It's, it's a social network that I'm aware of and I am connected to and I very rarely use. Uh, so let's find out how it actually works with Robin Christofferson from the UK charity AbilityNet. LinkedIn, the professional network. LinkedIn is the social network for professionals. Is it worth being on there? Absolutely. It's brilliant for networking, getting in contact with people, selling your services, and just being aware of what's going on in your particular industry. Microsoft run LinkedIn, the website, and the iOS app are really, really accessible. We're going to look at the iOS app today. Open LinkedIn. LinkedIn, my profile button. Here we are on the homepage of the app. This is the first tab. We'll look at the tabs across the bottom in a moment, but this one's called Home. And it's a bit like your Twitter or Facebook feed. It's a mixture of people's posts, ads and news. We're on the very top button here, which is My Profile button. If we went in here, we could edit details about ourselves, our photo, the company that we work for, our job and other interests. And that will tailor the sort of things that you will see when you look at your feed. Let's flick to the right. Search button. Double tap to search. Now I've kept hints on because every single control is really well labeled and there are really useful hints as well to help us know what we can do with that control. So this is the search. It's a double tap to search. If we did that, we could search across contacts, across contents of our feeds, etc. Really useful. Open LinkedIn code button. Click to open LinkedIn code. LinkedIn code. 
What's a LinkedIn code? Well, this is like a business card. So if you're in a networking situation, in a conference or a business meeting, you would double tap on this and it would show a barcode on the screen, plus the ability to scan somebody else's barcode. It also shows a summary of your business information. So it's a really handy way if both of you have the app open for you to quickly use your camera to scan in that person's contact details or vice versa. Messaging button opens messaging screen. Messaging. Now, this is really important. This is like getting sent a direct message in Twitter, for example. So a private message from somebody that you share your contact details with. We'll have a look at that in a moment, but let's carry on flicking. Write a post button. Double tap to post. This is just like posting something to Twitter or Facebook. You can write a message. You can add a picture or a video, etc. Share video button. Double tap to share a video. And this will go straight to your camera roll and allow you to share a video directly from there and add comments. Share photo button. Double tap to share a photo. Ditto, but this time it just goes to the photos section. Edward Hill, scanning pens, empowerment to read independently, 3D bullet, edited bullet. Actions available. And here we are now on the feed. So those were the controls at the top. If I carry on flicking to the right. Hashtag bet 2020 company of the year. Seven exclamation marks. Hashtag succeed with dyslexia. Hashtag brilliant bosses. Hashtag neurodiversity. Hashtag bet 2020. Still flicking. A group of people posing for a picture. And now we've got to an image. Now, one of the brilliant features of this app is that Microsoft's AI services automatically try and add alternative text descriptions to images. So this is a group of people. 46 reactions, 14 comments on Toby J. Sutton's post. And we're just flicking. Like Toby J. Sutton's post button. Comment on Toby J. Sutton's post button. Share Toby J. Sutton's post button. Double tap to share. There's lots of ways that you can interact with each post. Now, before we look at the tabs across the bottom, let's go back up to that messages button at the top right. Messaging button. Opens messaging screen. Dismiss messaging button. Dismisses the messaging conversation list screen. Really useful hints there. If I flick to the right. Messaging. Heading. Create group conversation. Button. Compose message. Button. Search messages. Search field. Filters. Button. Andrew Bretherton. Friday. Andrew sent a photo. Three new messages. Active now. Jamie Kyo. Mon. Hi Robin. Sure. I'd loved. Susan Quayne. January 17th. Good morning. I have attached a document to my new business by now. Vesi Toshiva. January 15th. Hey Robin. I'd like to invite you to my global launch in London of DH. I'll just stop there. So we started off by flicking through the messaging controls at the top there. They were all pretty self-explanatory. And then we got onto a list of private messages. I hope those people didn't mind having their names briefly read out and the first part of their message in each case. Really easy to send and reply to messages. Really efficient. So let's go back. Dismiss messaging button. My profile button. Now we're back on the home page. If I go to the bottom left... Selected. Home. Tab. One of five. That's where we've been all this time. I flick to the right. My network. Two items. Tab. Two of five. My network. Let's go in here. My profile. Button. Double tap to open your profile page. We're now on the second tab. My network. And this is where you can invite people to connect with you and you can manage the people that you're already connected with. The same four controls that we heard on the home tab exist here too. My profile. Button. Search. Button. Open LinkedIn code button, messaging button, and then manage my network. We move on to the network screen itself. Invitations, one new. Fabio is now connection. Views the profile button. 44 mutual connections. See all button. People you may know from University of Cambridge. 
Martin Heng, Accessible Travel Manager, Lonely Plan, Dismiss, Button, Connect, Button, Karen Jackson, Expert Disability, Dismiss, Button, Connect, Button. I'll just stop there. So it does offer you suggestions of people that you might want to connect with as well. This is a really easy and powerful way of expanding your network. And you'll soon find that you're up to hundreds or even thousands of contacts that are happy to share their connections with you. Let's go to the third tab. Post tab three of five. Now this post tab is pretty self-explanatory. Let's tap on it. Add a document. Cancel button. It just opens up a message editing screen. Start post. Post dimmed button. Robin Christofferson. This post is shared without anyone button. What do you want to talk about? Text share photo button. Share video button. Etc. Let's cancel that. Cancel button. Post tab three of five. Notifications 20 plus tab four of five. The notifications tab are where you get invite requests, where you have people that have mentioned you in their posts, etc. My profile button. Let's flick past the items at the top. Search open LinkedIn messaging. Recent. View Hector Minto's profile button. Hector Minto's post has been trending in hashtag accessibility. 105 reactions middle settings menu button. 3H. Wish Laurie Merriman and two others happy birthday. See who's celebrating button. Settings menu button. 6H. And now let's look at the last and for some people probably most important tab of all. Jobs tab 5 of 5. My profile button. On this page, you can find some information about jobs that might suit your qualifications and experience. But if you go for LinkedIn Premium, then you can get a lot more functionality on this page. Let's start flicking across. Search, messaging, zero save jobs, button, zero applied jobs, button, career interests, button. Based on your profile, heading, head of e-commerce and trading, company, VentureLock, digital account director, 45 pounds negative fifth, try premium to see jobs where you would be a top applicant. There you go. So you can apply for jobs here. You can watch vacancies. Really, really powerful. You might want to go for the premium if you think that this would be an area that would really help you. But just the connections, just the networking within this app and the whole social network is really, really powerful. So to wrap up, should you be on LinkedIn? Well, if you're a professional, absolutely. If you're self-employed, then yes, it's really good at promoting your business and networking with other people. If you want to get into the employment market, then definitely yes too. So LinkedIn, give it a go, guys. Okay, thanks for that, Robin. Uh, now, that is very much a surface-level look at the app and how it works. Uh, I think it's very useful just to get that because I don't think, guys, a lot of people would know much about LinkedIn. No, I didn't. And it's one of those things, isn't it? Because when you've got something as powerful as that, you know, if you come up against a problem or you come up against issues, uh, you know, you could just be tempted to walk away. So, you know, having that guide is, I think, is going to help a lot of people. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Stephen. Just getting into it and getting started with it can be very overwhelming. I remember when I first started using LinkedIn years ago, there's so much to learn. I mean, it's it's Facebook, but it's Twitter, but it's more than that. You know, it, it's a job search you know site as uh, as Robin points out in in that segment there. And so there's so many different things that you can do, and just accessing all of it on the surface, like you said, can be daunting. But then, yeah, to even deep dive more and to to really get your profile 
profile set up right and information about your resume and the types of jobs you're looking for, you can categorize all that and follow different categories. And it's just so many different things you can do with it. What I really like is being able to connect with people as Robin demonstrated, because I've been able to connect with people who are part of assistive tech companies, maybe even mainstream tech companies that have an accessible uh, department, you know, person that they, that they have uh, in charge of accessibility, something like that. So just to find that those people exist, get connected with them, talk with them. But then a lot of bloggers I've noticed, even podcasters will share posts uh, onto LinkedIn. So, you know, it's just another way to get the word out about what you're doing and, and to make that connection uh, similar to Facebook or Twitter or Medium or any of these other platforms. So yeah, it, it, it's just so many different things you can do. Stick around, we're going to be talking about Windows 10, uh, accessible VPNs, and where to stick all those cables and USB sticks that are just lying around our uh, desks and and homes and, in Sean's case, sheds. Um, Yeah, all that coming up on (laughs) Double Tap Canada. And now we're back with the Double Tap Canada team for more news on the latest tech from an accessibility point of view. Join in the fun with Double Tap by emailing your comments to feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at Double Tap Canada. It is Double Tap Canada. Hello, Stephen, uh, Sean and Tim with you this week. And uh, just before the break, we were hearing from Robin Christofferson from AbilityNet. He was talking about the social network LinkedIn and how to get started on the app using voiceover. Well, if you want to find out more about that and you perhaps... I'm, just, I'm not suggesting you wouldn't want to listen to our dulcet tones all the way through again, mm. but if you perhaps, you know, mm. maybe wanted to, you know, let's just say, cut it down a bit, um, well, uh, you can go straight to the article on our doubletap.online website. You can find out more about it there and uh, listen to Robin's tutorial once again. Speaking of tutorials, Sean's been busy again this week. That's two weeks in a row, Sean. This is impressive. I know. And, you know, after the excitement of last week's how to install Windows. And this week, we're looking at a quick start guide to Microsoft Narrator. It's like a roller coaster ride. I don't know if people can take it. I, I can't take it. Um, <laughs> but that's generally, I just can't take it anymore. Uh, anyway, Harry in York has asked uh, about this, York in the UK. Uh, Harry emailed in to say, I'm looking for a step by step tutorial for using Windows 10 Narrator, but all I can find are lists of commands. I know exactly where you're coming from, Harry. He says, I'm used to using VoiceOver on a Mac or an iPhone, but I can't make head nor tail of the system for using Narrator. I want a tutorial which starts at the beginning and progresses from lesson one to lesson two. Uh, so Harry's very precise in his requirements. Uh, and uh, Sean has been uh, helping us out this week. So, Harry, hope this helps. So, I don't really have time here to go into too much detail, but what I will do is give a quick overview of Narrator and how to get started. I will, however, put a more detailed and much longer version of this on the website. So, if you need more information, go to doubletap.online. So, first things first, how do you start Narrator? Well, there's a couple of different ways to do that. You could hit the Windows key to bring up your Start menu, and then just type Narrator and hit Enter. But by far the quickest way is to use a keyboard shortcut. Press Control, the Windows key, and the Enter key at the same time. Starting Narrator. Narrator heading level 1. Welcome to Narrator. And there it is. Now to exit Narrator, you can either press Alt F4 when you're on the Narrator window, or you can just use that keyboard shortcut again. Control, Windows, and Enter will also quit. Exiting Narrator. 
The first thing you'll come to when you start Narrator is Narrator Home. This is Narrator Home, where you can get help, access your settings, and learn about new features. So let's see what's on the Narrator Home screen. To move around, just press the Tab key. Quick Start button, Alt, Q. And the first thing we come to is a Quick Start Guide button. If you press Space or Enter on this, you'll get an easy-to-follow, step-by-step run-through of the basics of using Microsoft Narrator. And I've got to say, I think other screen reader companies could learn from this because it's really well done. In fact, don't bother listening to me. Just go off and do that instead. It's great. But for those of you that have stayed, let's press the Tab key again and see what's next. Narrator Guide button, Alt, G. Press space or enter on this to get a more in-depth, a more detailed guide to using Narrator. Let's press tab again to move on. What's new? Button. Alt. W. Pretty self-explanatory. Tells you what new features have been added on any recent updates. Settings. Button. Alt. S. Settings. Now there's far too many options in here for me to go through now, but when you do feel more comfortable using Narrator, do take a look. In here, you can change many things like the voice, the speech rate, verbosity, anything really. So it's definitely worth looking into. Feedback button, Alt F. Another great feature to have on the home screen, if you like, of a screen reader. Feedback. If you're having problems or any issues, this is where you can tell Microsoft about them. Anyway, that's the main things of interest on the Narrator home screen, and I've got to say again. Microsoft have done a fantastic job here because the amount of help and information that's available in an easy way is great. Well done, Microsoft. Take note, Jules and NVDA. So now you know how to start Narrator, how to find help using Narrator, and how to quit Narrator. Now let's see it in action. Okay, before we jump into it, let's just cover some of the basics of Narrator. So you can use Narrator in two different ways. And that's with scan mode on or scan mode off. When you start Narrator for the first time, scan mode will always be on. So what's scan mode? Well, if you've used VoiceOver on the Mac, it's very similar to Quick Nav mode. And what that means is that to navigate around a window, a website, an app, or anywhere, you can simply use the arrow keys, left, right, up, or down, or the tab key to move around. But also, you can use the keys such as H to jump to the first header in a website, or B to jump to the first button, E to the first text edit field. So it gives you that ability to quickly jump to specific elements and quickly get around a website or even some apps and the desktop environment. You'll find something similar to this in every screen reader. Now, if you turn scan mode off. You're no longer able to use the single letter quick nav, as in press H to jump to a heading or B to jump to a button. That goes away. Also, to move around, you now need to hold down the modifier key whilst using the cursor keys. Again, if we compare it to VoiceOver on the Mac, it's just the same as having to hold down the VO keys. Okay, so I know what you're thinking now. This sounds complicated. Why on earth would you have two different modes? Why would you ever turn scan mode off? Well, let's think about it. Scan mode is great for navigating websites. It's easy to jump to specific areas or specific elements of a website, and generally just browse through the information you want. But what if you're typing out a document or typing an email? Then, in that case, you don't want it that every time you press the letter H, it tries to jump to the next heading or B to the next button. You want those characters typed. So, in that case, you would turn scan mode off. 
So scan mode basically gives you the choice of the best way for you to navigate around whatever task you're doing at the moment. Still with me? Good. Now, Narrator will remember in which apps you use scan mode or not. So, for example, if you open up the web browser Chrome, it will say, ha, last time he used this, scan mode was on, so I'll turn it on. Or if you open up a word processor such as Word, it will remember, ah, last time he used this, he turned scan mode off, so I'll turn it off, which is cool. So that's scan mode, and I will demonstrate that in a minute. But before we get to that, let me quickly go over the modifier key. Just like every other screen reader out there, you will need to use a modifier key to perform screen reader specific commands. A modifier key is just a key that you hold down, usually insert or caps lock, whilst pressing another key to do something like increase the speech rate. In Narrator, by default, the modifier key is caps lock, but you can change that to insert if you feel more comfortable with that key. So, for example, if I want to increase the speech rate in Narrator, I press the caps lock key and the plus key. Speed increased to 60%. Now, if I press the caps lock key and minus at the same time. Speed decreased to 55%. And there's a lot of these keyboard shortcuts to do different things, as you can imagine. For a list of all the commands, you can press the caps lock key and F1. Okay, so that's the basics. Let's just see it in action. Let's bring up a website. Okay, so I'm going to press the start menu and type Chrome and hit enter to bring up my Chrome web browser. And now let's just bring up any old website. I don't know anything will do. Maybe double tap dot online. Yeah, why not? Double tap online where blind people talk tech. Scan. So to turn on or off scan mode, you need to press the modifier key. Remember, it's caps lock and the space bar. Scan off. And press it again to turn it back on. Scan. Scan mode is now on, so I can navigate around the website just by pressing the tab key. Link. Skip to content. Link. Skip to search. Primary menu. Link. Home. Link. News. Or I can use the up or down arrow keys. Link. Double tap TV. Four of seven. Link. Double tap podcast. Five of seven. Link. Reviews. And if I use the left or right arrow keys, it will spell out whatever I'm focused on at the minute, which is reviews. So if I press the right arrow... Capi, Cap V, Cap I, Cap E, Cap W, Cap S. So far, so good. Now, if I want to jump to a specific element, let's say the headings on a web page, I can just press the letter H. Link, double tap online. And press it again to jump to the next heading. Link, an website loss information available via Alexa. Link, double tap TV episode 9, apps we love. Link, is this the end for Windows 7? And to move back through the headings, I press Shift-H. Link, double tap TV episode 9, apps we love. Link, an website loss information available via Alexa. You can jump through quite a few elements using the letter navigation. For example, B for a button, E for a text field, K to jump to a link. You can use the number keys to jump to a specific heading level. C for a combo box, there's just lots of them. You'll find a complete list in the user guide or just play around and experiment. Now let's navigate the website with scan mode off. I can still jump through using the tab key, but now the cursor keys on their own don't do anything. Instead, I need to hold down the modifier key, caps lock. And now if I press the left or right arrow, link, skip to search, banner landmark, primary menu, navigation landmark, selected, requires selection contains seven items, one of seven. Link, home. Two of seven. Link, news. 
As you can hear by holding the modifier key and pressing the right arrow, I'm jumping through every item on that web page. But because we're no longer in scan mode, I can't just press the letter H to jump to the next heading or whatever I want to jump to. Instead, I need to press the modifier key, the control key, and either the up or down arrow to cycle through different views, as Microsoft calls it. Form fields, landmarks, headings. These are the same as the rotor options when you're using voiceover. I've set it to headings, so now when I press the modifier key and left or right arrow, it will jump through the headings on the web page. Link, double tap online. Link, an upsite loss information available via Alexa. Link, double tap TV episode 9, apps we love. Link, is this the end for Windows 7? The default view is items, so if you want to go back to navigating around the website as you were before, just press the modifier key, control, and the up or down arrow to go through those options until you hear items. And, whew, that's it. Did that make sense? I hope so. That's it, I'm out of time, but don't forget, if you do want more information, check out the website. I hope that helps. Thanks for that, Sean. Uh, wonderful update on a Windows Narrator. Do you know, I'm just, out of that, I'm getting the impression that you're not hating it as much as you used it. No, I was, <clears throat> okay, I'll admit, I was impressed. It was impressive. <laughs> as... Oh, here we go again. No, yeah, no, no, no. Here no. we go again. Wait. <laughs> no, wait. I haven't used this latest version of Narrator to say whether it's, you know, as good as NVIDIA or Jules. I just don't know yet. But what really impressed me was the way that Microsoft presented the guides, the help, the quick start guide in particular, was really well done. And having that information as soon as you start the screen reader is a great idea. And as I said in the piece, something that I think NVDA and Freedom Scientific could learn from. Right, look, this one's for you, Tim. Uh, Chris Chaffin has been in touch, who loves the show. He says, hello, Double Tap gang. I'm going to be traveling in a few months where cell coverage is not that good. Coming to Scotland, eh? Uh, he <laughs> says, uh, so I'll have to rely on available Wi-Fi supplied by the place that I am going. He says, because of this, I am looking into getting a VPN for that time period. That's a, a virtual private network. Now, of course, I am looking for one that is accessible, but also one that doesn't slow your internet speed to a crawl. Do any of you use a good VPN that is accessible and reliable? I do not mind paying for a good service that is accessible. Any help or guidance you can give me would be greatly appreciated. He says, love the show. Keep up the great work. Now, Chris, I have to say, on this occasion, I have to defer to Tim. I don't have to, but I'm going to. Because, <laughs> honestly, he knows this stuff better than any of us because you spent a lot of time working this one out. So, Tim, tell us about accessible VPNs. And maybe, for those who don't know, we should maybe explain a bit what a VPN is. Well, that's the bit trickier part, but uh, I will do my best. Yeah, uh, a VPN or a And you get two minutes. Oh, well, thank you. Wow. No pressure. So a virtual private network is a virtual private network. All right, I'm done. No. Um, Thanks. No, VPNs uh, I have been interested in for quite a while. And I did do some extensive research probably a year or so ago. Uh, I remember, Stephen, you and I had talked quite a bit about this because we were both interested in getting a VPN. And uh, part of the reason for me was traveling, like uh, like Chris has said here in this email, but then also just being out and about in public spaces. Because if you're going to use a public Wi-Fi, it is a really good idea to use a VPN. So what a VPN does is, is to put it very simply, you know, it is a virtual private network, like we, like we said, and it in a way makes the connection from you to that Wi-Fi network more private. People basically aren't seeing your phone's 
information, your phone's IP address. It's it's changing it, masking it, making it more private. So for example, this does happen and it is scary to think of this, but it can happen. If you're on a public Wi-Fi, just using your phone without a VPN, someone else could be sitting there in that same space on that Wi-Fi and use certain tools on a laptop or, or even on their phone and find you on that public Wi-Fi and get into your phone or get into your laptop or whatever it is you're connected with. And so they could get in and get information about you or get things from your phone. So that's why you want a VPN is to protect yourself. Now, there are other reasons to to have a VPN. If you're in a foreign country and, and want to trick it to think that you're in your home country so that you can do things with your charges and, and, and you know, cell rates and all that kind of thing, that, that is a thing and uh, that happens. But um, Scam. But but ultimately, <laughs> VPNs are there to protect you. And there are several that are accessible. Uh, Sean actually had put out a question on Twitter about accessible VPNs just to see if we could get any more. And there was one that I had never really heard. Well, I had heard of it, but I never used it. And that was OpenVPN. Now, I did download this on my iPhone. I couldn't get past the initial startup screen with VoiceOver. It had several different options as far as importing different profiles or server Ew, forget information. It. Inaccessible. Forget yeah, it. That's and it. Yeah, just, so, that message puts you off, doesn't it? Just well, it, it definitely it. does. But but I'm wondering, is it the app? Is it the current version of the app? I hope it's not me because there were a couple people, uh, one at least that I actually know who they were, and I, and I respect, I think, their opinion. And they said that it was accessible Ew. and should be the only one you use. So I don't know what's going on, but I couldn't get it to work. So the ones that I have used personally that I, I have tr- uh, I've tried out and tested, probably my favorite is one called Private Internet Access, PIA. That one is really good. You can use that's it That's the on, one you told me about. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, so one I had talked to you about probably about a year ago now. And I had it on my iPhone, on our iPad, on our home computer, on Windows. You can have up to like five or six different uh, you know, electronics basically on it. So anything you know that connects to Wi-Fi, your computer, your laptop, your phone can connect to it. And usually that's what VPNs will let you do is connect to multiple ones with one account. So PIA, Private Internet Access, is really good and very accessible. In the past, I've used Tunnel Bear. It is accessible. In mm. Early days, it wasn't so accessible. No, I know what you're going to say, Sean. Yes. But early days, it wasn't. But they have done a really good job at making it more accessible. Uh, they have a free tier, so you can get a little bit of data from it for free. But then, of course, it costs. But all the really good ones are going to have a small fee, maybe 3 or 4 or $5 a month to maybe even 10 or $12 a month, just depending on what you're using and what you want it to do. So PIA... Tunnel Bear, and another one I would say is also very accessible is called ExpressVPN. Very similar to the other two. Uh, you know, it, it does have a small cost. I think that one has a free tier, but I haven't used it in a while because um, PIA is really my favorite one. And, and basically, when you go in, you select a location, and, and the nearest one to you is going to be the fastest connection. So, to Chris's point, if you're wanting to connect very quickly uh, and not have it bog down your Wi-Fi uh, connection and experience, you want to pick a server that's close to you. So for instance, where I am here in, in the United States in the Midwest, I would want to pick one that's like Chicago or New York or something that's relatively close to me in region so that it's it's getting a good quick connection. Uh, and and they all, you know, they all work really well. Like I said, these three I found to be very accessible. Yeah, and this is the key point, isn't it, that, you know, Chris brings up is that, you know, he wants it to be accessible. And that's the challenge, getting something that's going to work and uh, be usable. And I think, personally, I would say spend some money because I think the free tiers, you're going to get maybe adverts or you're maybe going to get um, 
is slower speeds. Um, and it's they not may not update good. it as often as you would yeah. like. If it's free, that's great, and you can get a lot of great products for free, but the update cycle might not be there, and, and the development of it might not be there. And so paying a little bit per month or even a yearly plan, you can save money sometimes paying a year or sometimes even multiple years uh, in advance. You can, you can get a better deal. Yeah, pay a little bit for them. And really, the accessibility part is the setup process. Once you've set it up, installed it, and, and have it on all your different devices, typically it's set it and forget it. You don't have to really go in unless for some reason you want to turn it off. But that usually is at the push of one button to turn it on and off. Uh, so otherwise, once you have it set up, you don't really have to worry about it anymore. Um, I think that all apps now should come with, uh, or maybe we just do this as part of the doubletap.online website. We have an app area, right? And what we do is we have uh, needs cited assistance logos. Um, so if you are blind and you know you can't get past the startup screen, but once you're past that point, everything's fine, then you know you could get you could give it that rating. I'm just wondering though, with VPN, if having the acronym NSA next to it might be <laughs> yes, uh, that's a bad probably idea. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do like the idea. Anyway, um, okay. Well, look, thank you for that, Tim. I think that's going to help Chris a lot. I hope it does uh, because yeah, I hope so. you know. This is an area we haven't really discussed. I'll be honest, I always thought accessible or, or VPNs were, you know, basically for dodgy things. I didn't think they, they are, were, you know, for any. Yeah, it's well, to protect you from dodgy well. people. No, look, yes, let's be honest. Yeah. Going back to the free service aspect as well, the whole point of a VPN is primarily, as in Chris's case, is security. If you want to check some of your banking details and you're going through mm. a, you know, a, a, a cafe Wi Fi, you don't know what computer you're connected to to get Just the don't internet. Do it. Just don't even do it. Right. But you on the same aspect of that, if you're using a free, a free VPN, you don't know what computer you're securely connecting to. Who's, who is that free VPN? So it's much better to use a paid service, a branded named service. Uh, PIA is something that the private internet access one is something I've heard recommended a lot. So, yeah, I would definitely trust that one. Comes up in a lot of reviews, yeah. and it is very accessible for, for, for all of us. And yep. that's that's the key. So, yeah, that might be the one. Um, okay. Let us know how you're going, Chris. Hope you enjoy your traveling. So let's go to another email from Devin Wilkins, who's got in touch uh, with us uh, from Peterborough, Ontario, who says, Hello there, gentlemen. Here's a question to be used when you're desperate for something to talk about. Or us. Um, <laughs> never. <he> says, <laughs> never happened. Uh, is there a better way of storing USB drives than in the freezer bag where mines currently reside? And what's the best way of storing SD cards? Thanks very much, and keep up the good work. Um, okay, so I get this, right? Do You've you? got little what? freezer bags. Oh, no, I get this. I get this. Because, actually, I think that the freezer bag idea is brilliant. He's not putting it in the freezer. Yeah, don't put it actually well, well, in the freezer. No, I think that that's where Sean is. That yes. is exactly what they said. In no, the freezer. No. In freezer bags, not in freezer bags in the oh, freezer. okay. I take it all back. Just you know in that, a freezer you know freezers bag. Aren't, freezers themselves don't come in bags. Just, okay. Just to yeah. clean them, <laughs> that right? makes more and sense. You don't have to put a freezer bag in a freezer. Right. <laughs> no. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. So um, <laughs> there are ways to do this. And I actually got this, uh, the answer to this from my lovely wife because she bought me something at, at Christmas time. And... Uh, I'll be honest, it has just saved my life. I have a million cables. I've got my 
iPhone cable. I've got a cable for my Bose frames. It's got that horrible little weird cable that it comes with, uh, with the magnetic charger. I've got my Apple Watch charger. I've got my computer charger. I've got my mouse for my laptop, although I don't use that so much. But, you know, I take it with me anyway in case for whatever reason I need a mouse. You know, all these things, SD cards, USB sticks, and I want to take them all with me, but I don't want to just have a bag full of stuff. So the answer to this is, and it sounds really simple, and of course, of course, the, the market out there figured this one out. You can get travel cable organizer cases. And that's what I would be looking for if you're looking online for these uh, cable organizer cases. Uh, now, it says cable, but you can put in there USB sticks, plugs, mice, and other peripherals. Um, they're usually quite small as well, so you can sort of have them in your bag alongside your laptop case if you have one. Um, I think this is an absolutely brilliant thing. Lots and lots of them there. I mean, on Amazon right now, I'm looking, and you can get them from between $10 up to $30. Ooh. They're not expensive by any stretch, but they're not. $30 um, isn't cheap. Well, $30, but you get a bigger... I mean, I'm looking at one just now, right? It's $31, and it is massive. Well, how many SD cards can you get in there? About a million? Well, this one holds three. In fact, I think the one that, that I'm looking at here is the one I've got, three. because this one... Mine's has got three, yeah, you can have three SD cards in there. Um, it's actually also able to hold a small iPad, this one. Well, as hang well. on, hang on. Um, SD cards are like the size of a stamp. What are we talking about? Three? Well, but it has little compartments specifically for SD cards. Right, okay. You are a blind guy, aren't you? I mean, you, you know you know how this works. Yeah, but what's the you point know, of that? I mean, you've got three tiny SD cards in a suitcase, basically. Perfect. It's not a suitcase. It's tiny. Oh, right. okay. You've never seen these before. No. You've no idea what these things are. <laughs> he would just chuck it in the bag and hope for the best. Put it in the freezer. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably, if it's anything, the size of a, of a reasonable size book. I mean, it's a very small bag, uh, and it will just it holds all these different things. And some of them have more compartments than others, and you can do more with them. Um, but like I say, you know, just search for cable organizer case, um, and you'll find all kinds. Bag Smart is the one I've got. And it is uh, it's brilliant. I love it. Okay. All right. Well, maybe. I would say, look, SD cards, they usually come in their own little clear plastic uh, cases anyway. So always keep them in there if you can, if you haven't lost them. I think you can. You'll have lost you. Yes. Well, I think you can even buy replacements online as well. Um, they're the easiest thing. And you, you know what? You don't have to be that careful with these as with any other storage medium like a hard drive or whatever um you know keep them away from any magnetic sources and keep them away from extreme cold or heat <laughs> don't put them in the freezer um uh, but other than that you know it's just a, <laughs> doesn't put them in the freezer i'm just saying put them in freezer <laughs> bags <laughs> you never know just don't do that um but you know they're pretty hardy all these things it's just a case of whatever is easiest and more convenient to keep them Together and yes, Stephen's cable bags or suitcases may do. <laughs> I've actually bought so I, I've got two of these. Which actually, one of them was just a toilet bag that I used. That's the cheap way of doing right. it. Just buy a small toilet Absolutely bag. Absolutely fine. Um, I mean that does the job as well. But if you want it, you know, stored properly, as in you know, then you know where everything is. And I'm I'm getting that way now with this. I love this little thing. And I had two toilet bags full of stuff, uh, and I managed to put it all into this one. A bag smart case, uh, and it is just—it's amazing because it's so small, and yet it holds all the stuff. Mine isn't big enough to hold a. Well, it's not big enough to hold an iPad, not the one I've got, um, even an iPad Mini. But being uh, you small, you can put your phone in it. 
Well, yeah, you could. And being small enough to put those things in it and have different compartments to keep it organized as opposed to just tossing it in some bag where you're yeah. digging around trying to find it, you know, having it actually organized in, in little compartments or tap flaps or whatever, you know, it might be. Yeah, I, I, yeah it sounds helpful. I like that. Listen, that's it for us this week. Uh, if you want to get in touch and you do have questions, lead the conversation here, please, because uh, we're loving your questions and uh, it's keeping uh, Sean busy. So that's always good. Um, so you can you can get in touch with us. You can email. Sean, tell people how they can email and how they can ask us questions. Oh, I'm back. Okay. <clears throat> you can email feedback at ami.ca. <laughs> That was just like a voiceover. Not really, obviously, but, you know, it was like one, like one. And, uh, Tim, please tell us how people can call if they want and leave a message. Yes, please call and leave a message at one 509 And just remember to let us know that you're happy for us to use your message on air. That is it for us. Uh, Just a reminder of Double Tap TV, a special one-hour episode coming up on Tuesday at 8.30 Eastern on AMI-TV. It's myself, uh, not quite with Marco Flalo at CES (laughs) in Las Vegas. Uh, All shall be revealed and the reasons why uh, on the next episode, a one-hour special of Double Tap TV coming up and uh, really just getting a chance to get that walk around the exhibition as uh, we did uh, just at the start of January. Your chance to see that episode Tuesday, 8.30pm Eastern on AMI-TV. Guys, thanks again. We'll catch you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Don't forget to tune in to Double Tap TV every Tuesday at 8.30pm Eastern on AMI-TV. For more technology talk with Mark Aflalo and Stephen Scott. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.